I don't know if this is going to work or not. Well, life is experimentation. All right, we're back. This is the Guitar Ted Podcast. Episode number 31. And with me, as always, is my co-host, New York Roll. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. And, you know, the more I exist, the more I realize things never change. <laughs> are we going to have an existential podcast today? Oh, we could. We could. <laughs> you know, when I was back in Western New York, I went to the Albright Knox uh, Art Gallery in yeah. Buffalo, New York, and I sent you a picture of that great debate yeah. back in the late 1800s and it was kind of to modernize that conversation it's to use filters on instagram or not so they were talking about should they be altering the uh picture plates when they're doing the glass plating or even the film oh yeah they're talking about whether or not you know photographers were allowed to modify that and if that constituted as art or not so it was kind of an interesting take on the world. I was like, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty deep, man. Well, yeah, that and I spent about five seconds at that Andy Warhol painting of the soup cans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I stood in front of like two Picassos yeah. paintings and one Picasso. The one you sent me was a Salvador Dali. Yeah, no, I really like that one. That yeah. one I was probably about 10 minutes at, but a yeah. lot of the other ones I was like, I, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> not that I can't appreciate it, but I'm like, I I, I don't get it. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like the two Picassos, I, I, I was like, eh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, just didn't reach it, man. Yeah, and the Salvador Dali one, I was like, well, shit, this is good stuff. <laughs> you know? All right. Well, today we want to mention that we're sponsored once again by the Spinistry. They have a thousand mile gravel stage race that starts uh, 10, 12, 24, a little over a year from now. And uh, that's going to be in Texarkana, Arkansas to Tucumcari, New Mexico. Yeah. This- all the way across the great state of Texas. Yeah, I believe it just happened for this year, too. Yeah, it's at eight days. Crew support allowed only in des- designated towns, and it's free for Club Spinistry members. Yes, this is the real deal. It's the RAT Reunion Tour, 10-year anniversary. You can come join them at www.rat1000.com. We'll put that link in the show notes. Do they go round and round? <laughs> Well, maybe they do. I round don't know. and round. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Since I'm bald and all I could ever contribute to a hairband was a skullet, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw a rat in concert. So, yeah? Yeah. Huh. How were they? Well, it was in the 80s, so, you know, it was pretty raging. It was pretty good. All right. Yeah. It was rat and cheap trick. Oh, cheap trick, you say? Yeah. Shocked you weren't there with Cinderella. I saw Cinderella too. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I'm naming all the bad bands I remember. Uh, What about Dokken? Yeah. No, I never saw Dokken. Really? I never got to see them, no. Okay. White Snake, I saw them. Oh, you're on the road again. And Great White. What about Mr. Big? Never saw Mr. Big. They never came around (laughs) Iowa. 
When you say great white, I automatically think Mr. Big for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why. I always get those two in my head together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're hoping that we, we're going to be joined by a couple of guests a little bit later here, but we're going to, I'm not going to give anything away because I'm not even sure our technology is going to work. But you were in, um, you were going to, ha- you had a story about um, a race that you were in in New York. Why don't you tell us about that in yeah. the meantime? Uh, I did the Cameron Crusher. It was a um, enduro slash Grand Fondo style event. Mm-hmm. Um, it had 7,900 feet of climb, according to my Wahoo. Uh, but once it uploaded Strava, it said 7,600. So <laughs> I, I kind of want those 300 feet back Strava. Um, but like before I shut off the unit, it said like 7,900. You know, it was like 78, 79. That's, that's a lot of climbing yeah, that for, shorter distance. For 53 miles. Yeah. Um, would it be a gravel race by the standards of um, 80% mileage of gravel within the event? Yeah. Eh, you'd be on the cutting. You'd be, you'd be close-ish mm-hmm. to it. Um, not a lot of pavement. Uh, but the seasonal roads it, were, they said they were loose. So I thought Iowa loose. And if you would have had a mountain bike with two, two fives on it, you could have just sent it and been okay. Yeah. Um, I did kind of pussyfoot with this descents a little bit cause they're not like Iowa. They actually go for a mile or a mile and a half. <laughs> And they're not straight, right? Yeah, and they're not straight. You can't see around corners, yada, yada, yada. So I did kind of not send it on the descents. Um, but I did place first in my age category, but there was also only me in my age category. <laughs> Still counts. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the W. Um, I had an overall good time. Those guys down there are trying to build something, and I think yeah. they can. Um, I understand why they have to do a segment event like that lack of a better phrase um because you really do have to stop at some intersections that it's just not negotiable right you know you're sending it down a hill and it says stop sign you better start breaking and uh you're probably going to be making a left turn onto a busy road that has a big shoulder you know so Mm -hmm. um i understand why they can't do a mass start um i understand why they can't do a normal air quotes race. Uh, but I do understand they're going to be doing something with the Kiuka gravel classic this spring. So that'll be in Hammondsport, I believe off the top of my head. New York, right? Yep. And I was in Bath, New York, which is kind of just down the road, like less than 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the funny thing is I went out to dinner with some friends and they were like, Oh yeah, my sister lives down there. I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, it's got some really gnarly roads. And then Morgan starts describing this one and they're like, yeah, that's probably the one they live right near that they don't even go on. (laughs) (laughs) Even the locals avoid them, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it was fast gravel for Iowa comparisons or Midwest comparisons. Yeah. Really no chunk. What they thought was loose. I would take every day here. Yeah. Um, Granted, the composition of the soil is a lot different. Sure. Um, they're not doing a lot of large aggregate. It's been built up on river rock oh, over okay. years and years and years, and now they're just in the 
point of maybe putting down crush and run or some sand, you know, um, cause I'll fill in the voids. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, there's fairly sturdy rock beds, um, that ride really fast. Hmm. Uh, so it's gravel is not all created equal. There's no. different, there's different and this just reinforced it. Right. You know, we would have called it hero. It was raining. It was drizzly on us for like the first hour or so. Um, yeah, it was a good event. Really liked it. It was a Cameron Crusher. Uh, I believe they're going again next year, which would be the third year. Last year was their beta test. This year they uh, did it the same day as Unpaved PA, so that may have hurt their numbers a little bit. I'm not sure by how much. Um, unpaved PA is kind of down the road by like an hour two hours. Yeah. Um. So Fairly close. Yeah, yeah. Close enough to, to pull it. <coughs> And I think Unpaved PA is a big enough event. It's going to pull. So mm-hmm. kind of look forward to see what those guys do in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a good event. Liked it. Good. And I left with bottles of Stan. Bottles of what? Bottles of Stans. Oh, Stan sealant. Yeah, Stan sealant. Okay. Here I grabbed something and they gave me two four packs of beer from Steuben Brewing Company. There you go. So that's cool. That'll work. Yeah. And Morgan had a pizza waiting for me there. Thanks, love. <laughs> well, how do you rate gee well i yeah. pretty special guy pretty special that's all right though yeah yeah well that's uh good news to hear so we had an, um some news here in iowa that just came out um <clears throat> one of our former interviewees chris mcqueen who runs a iowa gravel series uh they announced their 2024 plans we were talking about this before we started the rec- recording today. Uh, the Iowa Gravel Series was, was it four or five races? I believe it was down to four. Yeah, I think they were four. Or, well, I, I think he had remember. more than he pared it down. Yeah, maybe. I know they're adding two races now for 2024. And uh, one of their races is going to switch to women's only format. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be called the Prairie Bloomer, I believe. Uh, that's going to be held over in uh, near Omaha in the Lois Hills of okay. Iowa. And uh, their championship ending race is going to be called the Fairfield um, Harvest Rush, I believe. And uh, that's going to be, I think, in November late october one of the two yeah i can't remember what the date was all this information will be on the iowa gravel series site which i'll link to in our show notes but you know it's a big deal in iowa because um you know i was thinking about this it's 2023 gonna be 2024 next year uh 10 years ago gravel was an established thing i mean people knew about it you know but there was really not much going on in the state of Iowa, which I always thought was kind of weird. Other than Serum and Colesburg, and then you can kind of cut throw Triple D into that in a roundabout way, even though it's a fat bike race. In the winter. <clears throat> in the winter, yeah. But it's on a graveled bike path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've also changed the format to now where you ride the bike path out and then ride gravel in. So I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, not not a lot was going on. Yeah, there was no series or even a hint of that going on. And then you know, other places this stuff started springing up. Well, by twenty fourteen, like 
the DK 200 was a huge deal already. Yeah. You know? Almanzo. Almanzo was huge. And, and uh, there was nothing like that in Iowa, which I thought was really weird because we have all these gravel roads. It's a perfect place to put on a gravel race. Yeah. So it took until 2020 for this guy that didn't even live here. He grew up in the West Coast, Christmas Queen, yep. to come out here and go, hey, this this place doesn't have a series of gravel events. That's kind of dumb. And he set up a series of gravel event. And I just thought, yeah, go, go, man, go. Yeah. I just thought it was always super weird that that never caught on here until late. Well, we kind of did. We had the Iowa Gravel Spring Classic or the Iowa Spring Classic. And it was more like a big crit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's, it was seven mile loops, but it was it was road racing on gravel. Right. Well, it was set up for guys to get yeah in shape for criterium. It was tune up set up for yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's I know what you mean though. It it was yep yeah. Yep. So, Anyways, so uh, what else we got going on in the news? You were talking about UCI early and how most of it was paved or forty percent of it was paved. That was uh, the, um, oh, what the heck was it? That was a Belgian waffle ride, I think. Oh, Belgian waffle. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying that. Okay. Uh, there's somebody <laughs> trying to get the fellows from Gravel World. So we have uh, two of them on the line right now. So uh, we have Matt Gersub and we have Jason Strobing, both from the Gravel Worlds. And uh, welcome, guys. Glad to have you on. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah. you so much. It's an honor to be on the Guitar Ted podcast. Absolutely. It's a legendary podcast. <laughs> well, I don't know how legendary it is. We're like driving a Model T here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's a high-end Model T. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Model Ts are worth more now than they were when, when they uh, rolled off the line. So right. that's all that matters. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> hey, uh, first off, uh, thanks for being on, guys. I really appreciate you making the time and putting up with our nonsense here that on our end, but, um, I want you to, to explain to our listeners, uh, exactly what you do for gravel world. So why don't, why don't you go first, Matt? Well, I'm kind of the, to a certain extent, PR guy and, uh, the, the press guy. So I'm the guy that sends out the news releases and, and, uh, works with Jason and Corey and Craig to, uh, to really promote gravel worlds and get, get our news out to the world. Right on. Yeah. And I'm, I'm our, uh, I mean, I'll, I think all titles are made up, but my, my technically official title that I gave myself is uh, a director of operations and marketing. So, there you uh, go. I'm kind of the Jack of all trades, I guess, with, with crowd world. So, um, just the day to day, everything going on, uh, of the event. And then obviously marketing, <laughs> as well with the social media side of things. So, um, a little bit of everything and, uh, whatever Corey tells me to do, that's, that's my, that's my role. <laughs> Jason is the pinwheel that it all spins around. Pretty much. <laughs> and, uh, you mentioned a couple other people and of course this is, this is, this is an event that takes a lot of people to put on, but you know, um, so why don't you mention the other people that are principal in the event? Yeah. So we got, uh, obviously the founder and hall of famer with you, uh, in the hall of fame there, guitar, Ted, Corey, cornbread Godfrey. He's the founder of the event going clear back to when it was called the good life gravel adventure in yep. 2008. 
Uh, and then Craig Schmidt is the other pretty OG guy. Uh, he's the reason all of our stuff is pirate themed. So he was uh, one of the founders of Pirate Cycling League. Uh, and then also on our team, uh, we have Sophia Gibson, who's our outreach coordinator. Uh, I always joke, uh, we love her on our team because she helps us give our money away, which is, uh, <laughs> we're the good kind of pirates. So we, we love, uh, we love giving money away. So she keeps us really connected with a bunch of nonprofits and, um, any, she's always on the look for new, um, organizations, stuff we can help. And then a massive role that doesn't get enough credit is Jamie Granquist, who's our volunteer coordinator, um, which uh, as we all know, if you've ever put on an event without volunteers, it it doesn't happen. And especially an event like gravel worlds, uh, where we have hundreds of volunteers over the weekend uh, and then throughout the year with our other events too, uh, without volunteers, that's, that's not happening. So, right. Uh, massive, massive role there. And then obviously all the volunteers, I, I consider our gravel team, gravel family on our team because without them, gravel worlds has never existed and doesn't continue to exist. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're just as much, uh, just as important to, to talk about and mention than, than anybody on the team. Cause I, I joke with our team all the time. Like we could go put up uh, arches and flags every single weekend, but if people don't show up, it doesn't really, it's all for nothing. So, right. um, yeah, they're definitely the, the real MVP are the people that show up and do these crazy things that we, we put together. Right on. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Your volunteers are really, really super great, by the way, uh, having attended your event several times in the past and quite valuable to the event. And I, I agree a hundred percent. You can't do it without those folks. So they're, they're definitely the foundation of your event or in any really big event, gravel event that's out there. I don't think any of them run without volunteers, you know? So, um, yeah. Shout out to the volunteers. <laughs> so all, all volunteers. And yeah, yes. if you're, and, and we always recommend to our team does it. If you, if you go to an event, what, no matter the size of the event, go volunteer, like go help with check-in, go yeah. do whatever. Uh, and honestly, like sometimes that's the most fun part, right? Is yeah. getting to meet everybody. And especially if you're new to gravel, I recommend volunteering because that's guaranteed you're meeting everybody at the event. If you're helping with check-in. Oh, I mean, and to wit, you know, back in the trans Iowa days, Mark, you know, when I came and volunteered at the checkpoint, um, mm-hmm. at trans Iowa, what was it? V 12 maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, that was, that was a real eye opener for me, but you know, the, the reason that I want to volunteer now is really because there's, I've, I've taken advantage of so many people's efforts in participating in the events. And it feels like, you know, this is, this is time for me to give that back and help other people find that love that, that I've been so lucky to have been able to find. Yeah. That's really great that you bring that up, Matt, because, um, so you're, you're talking about from the perspective of someone who's participated in gravel events and now wants to give back. But Jason's talking about maybe you're brand new to this and this is your gateway into it. So being a volunteer works both ways in, and as an avenue for people to give back, but also as an avenue to enter into the gravel family too. So it's really mm-hmm. super, super important, uh, the volunteers aspect of events like this. And I've, you know, you mentioned Trans Iowa, which was my event that I started in 2005 and, you know, couldn't have done it without all those volunteers and 
you know, I'm preaching to the choir, I know, with you guys, but uh, man, every time I think about anything that has to do with the the event that I ran, I just am so thankful for the volunteers. I mean, that's the number one thing that pops in my mind. So I'm sure you guys are the same way that with uh, Gravel Worlds. So um, going on from there, um, w- one of the things that is interesting, you know, for a lot of our listeners is that recently there was a Gravel Worlds running by a different organization. <laughs> We shall remain unnamed. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, it's it's kind of interesting because there's there's a dichotomy in how the events are ran. I mean, if you look at how uh, the professional level gravel worlds was ran, there's a lot of criticism, and I don't I don't want to get into that specifically. But you know, you guys represent the flip side of that in your gravel worlds where, you know, it's, it's inclusive as you can make it. It's welcoming. And not only that, but, uh, it doesn't happen. I, I, I really don't see you, you guys in, in the pirate cycling league gravel worlds thing. I don't ever see you guys not doing something if that makes sense. So it's, uh, right. one of the things that, I find really super cool about what you guys have done is you've made yourself relevant throughout the year. So, um, well, go ahead, Matt. No, thank you. I, I think that's, I think that's one of the things that, you know, this isn't just a, a one event thing. This is a lifestyle for us and a lifestyle that we're, we're trying to promote. And, you know, the, the professional scene is going to do what the professional scene does. And that's, that's fine. You know, there's room, there's room in this world for all of us. And, but what we're trying to do is, is make for an inclusive environment that everyone can come and participate in our quote unquote championship. And they are champions just towing the line. You know, they show up they're they're, they're celebrated. And so it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how fast you ride. It doesn't matter. You know, it, as long as you're cool, we're cool with you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's ultimately the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's a big part of it. And the thing I think I'm trying to get at here is that there's, there's gravel world championships, but then there's mm-hmm. this world of gravel. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it's yeah. like you guys represent that to me. In my yeah. viewpoint, you guys gravel remember, every day, baby. Right, the world of gravel. So, I don't know if that's what Craig and Corey thought about when they first coined that phrase. I'm no, I'm pretty sure I can speak to, for them and say that was pretty much tongue in cheek because I know those guys. But um, oh, it totally was. Yeah, and <laughs> I think it. I, yeah, I think it was. I mean, it was tongue in cheek, but also serious as well. And it's kind of morphed into a ser- more serious idea as well. And I think that that happened when gravel was more serious, right? right. Like we're gravels serious, but it's also not, and it's not serious because it is serious. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like yeah. reciprocal, um, on that mentality. So, I mean, we reflect, we reflect where our environment is at and that's mm-hmm. how, you know, our events reflect where we're at in the gravel scene. But, you know, going back to the whole gravel worlds naming thing, I was actually there at the meeting where it was decided that, that gravel worlds was going to be called gravel worlds instead of the good life gravel adventure. And ultimately it came down to, I mean, it really was pretty tongue in cheek at the time. You know, Corey asked me, he said, well, why should we do that? And I said, because nobody else has. Right. And we're the epicenter of gravel. 
And, you know, at that, at that point, we really felt like we were, and now, you know, gravel was a worldwide phenomenon. So we can't say, Oh, we're the epicenter of it. And, and I think that was sort of short sighted of me to even say in that time back in, you know, the fall of 2010 or 2009, but, uh, you know, we've, we've grown and we've evolved with the gravel scene and we, we want to, you know, we, we want to represent the ideals that we, we find important. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really what you'll see in all of our events in the winter endurance and gravel worlds. You know, the fact that we're doing running events now, it's, it's a inclusive environment. Right. Yeah. And I, I also wanted to, to pick up on the theme where, um, and I see, you Jason a lot talking about how pirate recycling league slash gravel worlds people are going to volunteer at this event. We're going to volunteer at that event. So it's not just about people coming to Lincoln. It's about you guys giving back to the gravel family through other avenues as well. Like you show up at these events and you, you do the volunteer thing and you put out the vibe. And, and so to me, that's all part of the world's thing too. You know, I guess what I'm saying is you guys have, you guys are representative to, in, in my view of the gravel scene period, you know, like you talked about, Thank you. you guys that, talked about, that means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, you know, Matt, you mentioned that you originally were thinking, well, why, we're the epicenter of gravel in 2010, right? Why shouldn't we have gravel worlds? Well, it's evolved right? I mean, things have changed since then. And, and, you know, I just seen the whole event grow from literally almost nothing out of a house on D street in Lincoln, Nebraska to (laughs) being this huge thing that draws people in from all over the world. And like I said, you guys don't just stop on your event weekend. You, you do it all year long at these different places in different events and you lift it. You're lifting up other people too. You're not just like, Hey, we're great. You know, we have this great event, which oh, you do, right. but you're trying to lift up these other places as well. So <clears throat> I just think that I guess my whole point going back to what mentioning, even mentioning the UCI thing is that that that's one way to look at how what's important in racing and that's fine but it's so limiting you know and when because only certain people can participate or even enjoy that whereas what you guys have taken the world's idea and and really truly created a world where everybody's welcome so i think you know i maybe that's a new new viewpoint for you guys but that's how i see it so I just thought I wanted to. Yeah, get that. I think it's it's like kind of all a balance, right? Like right. It, similar. That's one thing that's great about gravel is it's developed to where whatever you want, we've got it, and hopefully at those events, at that whatever you're signing up for, you feel welcome. I mean, that's the goal of gravel, right? Is the community right. first aspect, and um, I think some of the professionalization is missing that, but. Um, I, I don't want to assume the worst in, in race directors, whatever they're doing either direction. And, uh, if you want 50 person events, uh, that, you know, you pay 10 bucks and you get your beer and whatever at the finish line, you, we have options for that too. So, sure. and ultimately above everything, like for us, w- one thing we're really trying to encourage is supporting 
those small independent races. And you, you might not consider gravel world, the small independent race, if depending on where you sit on the spectrum yeah. and that we, we totally understand that. Um, we hope we you, we feel like a big, small guy or a small, big guy, whatever, <laughs> however it lines up. Um, but like ultimately to us, it's incredibly important for us to take care of those small events and help them out because for me, I, and we, we could even tell this story cause it's relevant cause it involves Matt, but my very first gravel race and a lot of our first gravel races were small 200 or less people events where we fell in love with gravel. Uh, and it's really important that we cultivate and take care of those small time events because if everything is huge, super expensive events, that that's kind of where the sport I, I feel goes, nice. goes to die. Um, and we've kind of, seen that a little bit with cyclocross you know they've had issues where there were tons of park races right in every Mm -hmm. single community where you did cyclocross and then those promoters got burnt out after eight ten years um and those small town events went away and then now there's no cyclocross races or very few it's harder to find except for the massive ones that are that are left so um yeah it's really important for us to to really encourage everybody and if that means if you go to 10 races next year and they're all small town races and that means you don't have it in the budget to come to gravel worlds because you supported 10 races that's awesome like tag us and share us what all the things you you did because that's great uh you got 10 experiences out of out of that out of whatever you have for your budget so I think it's important to note that, you know, we don't look at other races as being competition per se. Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I think is important to say because the uh, rising tide raises all ships. And so if, if, you know, if events are succeeding, we're going to succeed too. Mm -hmm. And if we, you know, if we do the right thing, the, you know, a good outcome will come. And the right thing is to, to support our local events and, and help our friends do what they want to do and, and manifest their vision of, of what a great gravel event should be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So um, let's talk a little bit about, before we let you go here, about uh, your running stuff. How did that even come into gravel? Do you, can you explain that to me? <laughs> I can't figure yeah, that I mean, out. To be honest, it- <laughs> It was a level of flat of, uh, they say, what is it? Mimicry is the best form of flattery, right? Yeah. So to be honest, we got the idea from Bobby Wintle at Mid-South. There's okay. no, there's no hiding, hiding around that. Uh, we saw what he was doing and, and really liked the idea. Um, and then that's, that's also why the first year that we did it, we did a double, double championship with Mid-South and had that camaraderie of community over competition with Mid-South when we launched our 50 K. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so we, we thought we'd try it, see where it goes. Um, you never know. And then the, the awesome thing that has come out of it is seeing runners experience gravel the yes. way we experience gravel, That's cool. um, which is community. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it, from literally the first like 10 people that finished and they all hung around the finish line. Um, uh, this is 2020 two, right? Last year uh, that we added the run. Uh, and it was just really cool to see them hanging out. And then they, they come up to us and they're like this gravel, what is this gravel thing? Like, this is crazy. There's people from all over the world that are cyclists cheering us on. (laughs) And then we're all hanging out because they're used to, if you go to a marathon, 99% of the time, I don't want to speak for all, uh, road marathons, but you, you finish, you get your metal, you get your little shiny blanket and then you leave, right? There's right. no, there's no in between. So, um, it, the, and then you just go home and 
that's it. Where gravel, you hang out. The whole thing is you hang out and talk about your adventure with everybody. And that was felt from the moment they finished. So that that's where we were like, okay, gravel running, it has as much, yeah, has, has a potential like gravel cycling does. And I, I genuinely feel gravel running is about where gravel cycling was 10 years ago. Um, okay. it's, it's okay. the perfect balance. It's the perfect balance of road running and trail running, just like gravel is the perfect balance of road cycling and mountain biking. Um, you get the change in elevation, you get out of, uh, out in nature a little bit more, uh, similar to trail running, uh, but it's more consistent like road running is where it's more obtainable. Mm-hmm. So well, it's yeah. been really cool. You know, Jason doesn't know this even, but I came into cycling through running. I was, I was a runner first and, uh, it was, it was through a running injury that, that I even picked up the bike because I couldn't run. And anyone that's run cross country understands the feel of running on gravel and they'll immediately be drawn to it. And there's so few opportunities right now for people to experience that, that, that I think a lot of runners just put it on the back burner, but it's no different really than, than gravel cycling is. And And we're fortunate, you know, in the Fallbrook area where we start and finish Gravel Worlds, we have virtually immediate access to some just absolutely primo gravel roads. Yeah, you do. And so whether you, you know, whether you're doing a a 50K run or a a 10K, you're getting some really good gravel in and uh, getting that, getting that feeling. And I mean, I think there is going to be some cross pollination. We may, we may see some of those runners coming back on bikes next sure. year. Yeah. Um, and some we, of those we've cyclists already, we already back have it. R- running. So yeah, we've already had runners like uh, buy a Lauf bike and they're, they're in for the nice. 75 for next year. So nice. it's, it's pretty awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen guys, I'm going to have to let you go here in a couple minutes, but I want you to real quick, tell us when uh, gravel worlds is going to be next year. Yeah, so uh, Garmin Gravel Worlds 2023, wait, 2024, my goodness, yeah, uh, is going to be August uh, 23rd and 24th, so our runs will be on the 23rd. Uh, we got a 25K and 10K next year, uh, and then uh, we have uh, on Saturday, we have our uh, 150, 75, and 50K routes on August 24th uh, as well. That ended it. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, so that was our guys from Gravel Worlds. They, sorry, the recording got cut off there. So, um, yeah, that was thanks for those guys being on. Appreciate it. So, yep. you had a gravel amplifier, didn't you? Uh, no, I was no? looking for one today, and I was just <sighs> not coming up with anything. We're just at the end of the year where nothing looks attractive just yet. Yeah, I guess so. But you know that, again, we're sponsored by this ministry. On February 2nd, they have their next edition of the Chain Ring Massacre, the Texas Chain Ring Massacre. It's just off I-35 in far north Texas. This one's the perfect way for folks who will be snow and ice bound to get in some real gravel to warm up for the spring season. Uh, this event is also free for club's ministry members, so that membership is a well-spent $75 for the year. I would say so, yeah. Uh, you can pay full price if you'd prefer, uh, and I'm sure you know there are probably some people who wouldn't mind doing that, and we thank you for that. By the way, you can check out more on this event at www.texaschainring.com, which we'll put in the show notes. And we thank you... Uh, for listening to this and thanks to the spinistry for sponsoring the guitar Ted podcast. 
Well, right now I'm without my co-host, uh, but I did want to jump on here and give you um, a little bit of a gravelly opinion. So we'll probably try to do this from time to time, uh, more of an editorial part of the podcast. I wanted to look at just what is going on at the brand level with gravel bikes uh, and so-called endurance road bikes and the influence of mountain bikes on gravel bikes. So if you've been paying attention, you might have noticed that road bikes are getting bigger tires, uh, gravel bikes are getting bigger tires, and it's kind of hard to tell what's a gravel bike anymore and what's a mountain bike with drop bars and where do we cross the lines. And So the lines seem to have been blurred, and that's what I wanted to address here and uh, find out just what's going on here with uh, all this craziness with bikes. Uh, things that once seemed unimaginable 10 years ago they're now commonplace. So you think about things like uh, 32 millimeter tires on a road bike. That's just like, that would have been nuts in 2010, right? I mean, nobody would have ever dreamed that it would happen. Uh, but now we have bikes coming out with that size tire stock. Uh, I remember back then, 25 millimeter tires were pretty much the norm. And anybody who ran 28s was pushing the limit. So things have changed quite a bit. Uh, tires, they kind of define the genre of a bike uh, in many people's minds. So when you start pushing into tires that are almost as wide as cyclocross tires and it call, they're calling it a road bike, sometimes it makes people raise their eyebrows. So what's a road bike? Um, what's, what's a cyclocross bike? And then we get, you know, like the Lauf introduced, uh, that brand introduced a road bike recently that can put in, you can put 38s in that one. So, I mean, isn't that a gravel bike? <laughs> They're calling it a road bike. So um, let's take a look at history and see what history can show us. Uh, if we go back about 30 years or more, you know, maybe 40 years, back into the 1980s, 1970s, we think about the original bike boom. That was the, when bikes kind of went nuts after the gas crisis in 1973. Uh, we can see that there were bikes that resembled kind of what we have now road bikes with fatter tires hmm so if we look at things based upon tire size which is what many of the media and the brands seem to categorize bikes by let's take a look at what we had back then so uh if we focus on the tire size road bikes from the 70s were mostly using the 27 by inch and a quarter size wheels uh, you know, I happen to know that back then there were also 27 by one inch tires. There weren't a lot of bikes that were doing that, but that was something you could get. And there were also some that had 27 by, uh, inch and three eighths tires. So even a little bit wider than inch and a quarter. So that wasn't uncommon. I mean, you'd run across those, but by far and away, most bikes had the 27 by inch and a quarter. If you think about that and turn that into metric measurements, that's uh, an ISO measurement of 630, which is slightly larger than 7, 622 for the 700C, and the width turns out to be 32 millimeters. Wow. Think about that. We're thinking road bikes that come out with 32 millimeter tires now are weird, but back in the 70s, that was commonplace. They just called it a different thing. So they say what comes around goes around, you know, and while at 27 uh, by 630 diameter tires have been left behind. Uh, basically, after about 1989-90, they kind of phased those out. The width has resurfaced, and it's a standard road bike tire size now. 
So uh, if you stretch that a few millimeters from 32 to say 35, which is what some uh, of the road bikes are pushing now, uh, you're getting into gravel territory maybe. Well, uh, think about the 27 by inch and 3 eighths, which was not uncommon in the 70s. That's essentially 35 millimeters. So even road bikes back then were, some of them were running 35 millimeter wide tires. So were those gravel bikes? Hmm. While that all may seem like road bikes have gone mad with these wider tire sizes, tire, the wider tire sizes today, it really is a return, I think, to what was once commonplace. So if you take that all into account, it starts to make sense. The return to wider widths on road bikes isn't new. It's just using what road uh, what made sense for road bikes back then. So all road riding. I mean, that's what those bikes were meant for. You got out of your car because gas was getting crazy and you needed a bike to ride everywhere. And the all road 27 by inch and a quarter wheel size was the wheels that made sense. They were the wheels that made sense. So for decades previous to that, that was what was commonplace. It wasn't until the 1980s when tire sizes started to shrink. And by the end of the 1980s and moving into the 90s, you could see racing bikes that had 18 millimeter tires and 20 millimeter tires, basically pizza cutters. Uh, and that's where a lot of us today have our memory based on. That was the first road bikes we remember with the really narrow, skinny tires. Some of us maybe that are younger might think, well, didn't road bikes always have 23 millimeter tires? No, that's not the case. Actually, we were just recovering <laughs> from what did make sense way back in the 70s and before. So um, now what about the other end of it? What about these gravel bikes that are starting to get into mountain bike size tires? So if you go back to the 2000s, uh, many riders were dreaming then of a 29er with a flared mountain, uh, drop bar that they could use for an adventure bike. Uh, this was a bike that they were thinking more in terms of not just mountain biking, but you know, going anywhere off-road. So fire roads, uh, mild single track, um, that kind of thing. Gravel roads even. So uh, there was a big push for that idea. And one of the people who caught that bug that really kind of is a pivotal person in the gravel scene that goes, in my mind, is an unsung hero of the gravel scene is Jason Boucher, who was formerly the head of Salsa Cycles. He got the vision for a bike that had 29-inch wheels but had a drop bar and uh, helped develop the Fargo back in the late 2000s. Uh, it debuted in late 2008. And it was a bike when it came out that just baffled people. They didn't know what to make of it. Uh, Jason and his team called it Adventure by Bike. And so their idea was that, well, this could be an off-road touring bike. It could be a gravel bike. It could be the anything bike from rough road to all the way up to, you know, heavy-duty mountain bike in that area in between there. And uh, they, they fit those bikes with the um, 29 by 2.1 uh, Volpines originally, which were a smoother tread. They were originally designed for fast cross-country riding. So that was a bike that came out and revolutionized the thought processes of a lot of people. And it took a while for that to kind of sink in. And from that bike, you can arguably say that bikepacking uh, developed to a large degree. And also this idea of having mountain bike tires 
on a drop bar bike that would be fast but yet capable like the original Fargo was. So that to my mind is kind of what's happening. We have these two different things going on. We have road bikers finally coming to their senses realizing that wider tires which had been in the past always the way things were uh, coming back into Vogue and making sense for these people. And then on the other end of it, you still have these dreamers that want to have an adventure bike, but something that still can go fast. And so they're kind of mixing the, the genres of mountain bike and road together using a wider tire. So that's my take on what's going on with the gravel bike scene right now. What do you think? You leave me a comment uh, on, our, on our homepage on the um, Spotify uh, page where we have the Guitar Ted podcast hosted or just uh, hit me up with an email at g.ted.productions at gmail.com. Love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, you know, it's crazy times in the bike world. One thing I'd like to leave you with here, though, is even though things may seem super confusing and messed up as far as the genres of bikes, we are in what I would say is the golden age of bicycle choice. I mean, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, this would have all been not possible. So if you think about that, it's pretty rad. Uh, so until next time, thanks for listening to the Guitar Ted podcast. Uh, we'll be back again with New York Roll and myself. And I uh, hope you guys have a good uh, time until then. Get out and ride your bikes, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. <laughs>